Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to this weekly Torah study from New Beginnings Church in Bedford, Texas, taught by Pastor Scott Sigmund. We pray this message will help you better understand how God's Old Testament wisdom and New Testament revelation are meant to jointly fit together. We especially want to welcome our uh, Zoom audience. Is our Zoom audience there? Amen. Uh, and uh, we've officially launched on Zoom. We've had people from Connecticut to California register to be a part. We have a big following, of course, in our stream, and we've just added this, and uh, we hope and pray that God will bless our time, uh, and it'll be well worth the investment. How many of you is, would say it's well worth the investment to study the Word of God? You all get extra credit. Amen. And so uh, this particular Torah study falls on the Shabbat right before Passover. And if you followed, uh, if you were here on Friday night or streamed or you end up listening to the podcast or get the CD, Pastor did a phenomenal teaching on Friday night. And this dovetails with that, uh, this teaching on Shabbat Haggadol, uh, the great Shabbat. And so uh, we want to get into what's hidden in uh, this teaching and peel back the onion, as it were, to give us a glimpse into God's master plan of salvation. How many of you are part of God's master plan of salvation? Amen. Uh, And there's some prophetic things that will help us understand all the ins and outs of what God is doing in the last days, and especially connected to, and we'll see this as we go through this, the first coming uh, of the Lord and the second coming of the Lord. And so Shabbat Hagadul, the great Shabbat, uh, began about 3,400 years ago. It's part of our salvation history. It's uh, uh, when God was bringing Israel out of Egypt and uh, it was a build-up into the very first Passover. And, and if you think about it, next to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Yeshua, HaMashiach, our Messiah... This story of the Exodus that includes the great Shabbat is the greatest story ever told. It is the greatest story ever told in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament's part of our history. And so uh, we're going to look into how the strong arm of the Lord that came in with salvation and deliverance for Israel is a shadow and a type, kind of the prequel of what God is doing in our lives today. So... We know the story, but let's go through it quickly. Uh, the Lord sent Moses as the deliverer. Uh, there's ten plagues that happened. The tenth plague uh, was unique in that all of a sudden Israel had to do something. There's a plague coming. I'm going to give you some commandments so that the plague won't strike you. And part of that was to take a lamb. Amen. You and I, prophetically and by faith, we have taken a lamb, 
And we haven't physically, but we have spiritually put the blood of that lamb on the doorposts of our hearts. Who could say amen to that this morning? I've done that. Amen. And so at this divine moment on the great Shabbat uh, is when Israel obeyed God's very first commandment. Okay? Take a lamb. And that set in motion this greatest of all miracles in the Old Testament. It's the greatest miracle to this day the Jewish people have ever had. The Exodus. The coming out of Egypt. It's the last Shabbat they celebrated in Egypt. And the first Shabbat they celebrated as a nation. Up until that point, they weren't really a nation, but Passover, the Lamb, the covenant commitment to uh, their pledge of allegiance to serve the Lamb, or I mean to sacrifice the Lamb, is a picture of you and I and our pledge of allegiance to serve the Lamb. Amen. Amen. And why? how this all kind of fits together is the ancient Egyptians worship sheep. And we've learned this, that uh, when they were slaves, uh, they were on the great Shabbat commanded to take a lamb. So now you have all of these Hebrew slaves, thousands of them collecting lambs, uh, the deity, one of the deities of Egypt. And the Egyptians considered it blasphemy. What are you doing taking our God? You're a Hebrew slave. And they found out what was about to happen. Uh, But, and here's part of the blessing, the benefit of understanding the great Shabbat, in that instead of experiencing more persecution, okay, you're going to take our God and desecrate our God in front of us, We're coming after you. Instead of that, God supernaturally protected them from any harm. Amen. They were powerless to stop God's plan of salvation, deliverance, and redemption. In fact, and Pastor touched on this, history tells us the Egyptian firstborn, when they learn what, uh, this lamb, why are you, t- and the, uh, door on the, the door, uh, the blood on the doorpost, they actually rebelled against Pharaoh, and you can read this for yourself, we can't get, the, the war of the firstborn. And so it it tells us that God will even cause our enemies to fight on our behalf. I don't know why I'm doing this for you, but I'm going to bless you. Amen. And so this lays the foundation for the great Shabbat, the revelation. And we're being shown something here. This is so important for Christians. I, I, uh, how many of you know people that are going to church but have never been taught about the authority that they have in Jesus Christ? They have a form of religion, a traditional way of learning about the Bible, but they're not learning how to enforce the believer's authority against the powers and principalities that are attacking them. And that's what this church is all about. We fight the good fight of faith. Amen? 
We pull down every stronghold of the enemy that's trying to come against us and disrupt our blessing. So when Israel took this huge step of faith to obey God by taking the Passover lamb, they were entering into a covenant commitment. Amen? You and I as believers, we've entered into a covenant commitment. And just like Israel experienced some supernatural deliverance, some supernatural victory on the great Shabbat, this is an appointed time for you and I to claim the very same thing. How many of you have received Jesus as your Passover lamb? Well, now you have access to supernatural dominion and authority. Amen. Be excited with me. (laughs) Come on, somebody. Once you understand you have spiritual authority, you're not passive. You become proactive. Your spiritual worldview begins. How you look at the world begins to change. I'm not going under with the world. I'm going over the top with Jesus Christ. It changes your prayer life. You go from, now I lay me down to sleep level faith, into Satan, in the name of Jesus, I bind you. Who has that kind of level of faith and prayer life? It's important, especially in these last days. You begin to walk in faith as more than a conqueror. It's just not something somebody's preaching about. I feel I am more than a conqueror. I feel that I can do all things through Jesus Christ. I know in my spirit that that I am an overcomer. Amen. Amen. If you feel that same way, turn and tell somebody we're overcomers. See, the promise of Passover is more than forgiveness. If all Jesus did was die on the cross as our Passover lamb, and there were no other promises except eternal life, we couldn't praise Him enough. I'll take that deal. Where do I sign? Okay, you can burn in hell for all of eternity, or you can spend all of eternity with the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the God of Love, the Gracious Father, and on and on and on. Which one do you choose? I choose life. I choose Jesus. But there's more than eternal life involved. And this is where you're not getting all that teaching in in a lot of churches. You're not being taught. Of course, we're being taught this. Maybe you watching by Zoom or in a, you're not being, and that's why you're Zooming with us. Because God has an abundant life. And that abundant life includes the power to overcome. There's obstacles, there's challenges. I beg your pardon. The devil ain't going to sit by and let you have a rose garden. He's going to, as a roaring lion, go about seeking who he can disrupt. I'm looking, the devil's looking to disrupt people's lives. And he's doing a good job of it. 
And he uses sin and sickness and poverty and divorce and depression and addiction and every other enemy to try to stop the redemptive plans of God. But God is saying on the great Shabbat, I'm giving you supernatural ability to walk in a level of dominion and authority. Well, I don't feel like that. Don't ask yourself how you feel. You walk by faith, not by feelings. We don't gauge what the Spirit of God is doing based on how we feel. Even if you don't feel like it, proclaim it, prophesy it, pray it, declare it, that I am an overcomer. I can do it. And if you have to write it on your spiritual chalkboard 500 times, get to writing. Lather, rinse, and repeat. That's how it works. Faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing. We're going to celebrate Resurrection Sunday next Sunday. How many of you own the Scripture, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in me? That one scripture is a life if that If you just know John 3.16 and Romans 8, you can change your world. That means no weapon formed against us will prosper. Well, weapons are forming against me and prospering. Well, you need to rise up to a new level. You need to find a new prayer partner. You need to step it up. If the devil stepped it up, you step it up, and God will back your play. Amen? Jesus said, you have power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Come on, somebody. What Israel experienced on the great Shabbat is a picture of what God wants you to experience right now. Egypt is the enemy. They had him in bondage. The devil had him right where they, he wanted him. And yet all of a sudden, they made a covenant commitment, took the Passover lamb, obeyed God. They heard the voice of God and responded. And in that moment, all of a sudden, the enemy became powerless to stop what God had promised. Claim that right now. Now when I'm up in the TV control room in the main service, I'm going to ask uh, our director, make sure we, I want to find out who's praising God that was in the Torah study. And who's just sitting there, oh, isn't this a mighty God? And then we'll send the spiritual NSA to knock on your door. Turn and tell somebody, I reclaim my spiritual authority now in Jesus' name. Come on. Praise God. The great Shabbat is the same day as Palm Sunday. Back when Yeshua came into Jerusalem... 
for the last time, it was the very same day where God's people at that time were choosing their Passover lambs. And we said this is a prophetic journey, so let's journey uh, into the book of Daniel. Daniel gave a prophecy about Palm Sunday, about the great Shabbat. And when Jesus came in that day, it was in fulfillment of the prophecy in Daniel chapter 9. This prophecy in Daniel 9 foretold of when the Messiah would appear in Jerusalem. Now there is some difference of opinion uh, on how that prophecy plays out. But uh, in reality, there's enough evidence to believe that this prophecy, which is really a prophetic countdown, from such and such a date, count such and such number of years, and then the anointed prince will appear. And uh, I believe, many believe, that this is when Nehemiah received the permission, the edict, to rebuild Jerusalem. Some believe it's Cyrus, who is also known as Darius. I tend to believe it's Artaxerxes, who gave this edict. And uh, uh, who is Artaxerxes? And why would he care about a Jewish cause? Because Artaxerxes is highly likely, we weren't there to confirm it, but he's probably Esther's son. Queen Esther had a son. His name is Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes favored the Jews and gave a decree to Nehemiah, go back and rebuild Jerusalem. Why would he fail? Because his mother's Jewish. He's Jewish. And he's learned Jewish things. So in God's master plan, at that moment, this countdown begins. And it turns out, and it's very complicated in some sense, there's this prophecy about the 70 weeks of Daniel. And in these 70 weeks, after 69 weeks, the Messiah will appear. Well, those are weeks of years. And so 483 years after Nehemiah receives the edict to rebuild Jerusalem, the Messiah will appear. And if you go do the math with uh, when all of this happened, suddenly you realize that it comes out to about 30 A.D. Who's the only messianic figure in Israel around 30 A.D.? Yeshua, Jesus. And so Daniel 9 speaks of all of this. And uh, and Jesus in his first coming on Palm Sunday on the great Shabbat fulfills part of Daniel's prophecy, fulfilling the 69 of the 70 weeks. But what's the 70th week all about, Pastor Scott? Well, this is considered to be the time of Jacob's trouble, that last week. Uh, seven years, one week equals seven years in this prophecy. This is the great tribulation. Hadn't happened yet. And among other things, people, why did, why did Daniel, uh, God have Daniel divide this into different weeks? Because it's a hint at the Messiah will come 
in two different ways. It's a twofold coming of the Messiah. And as you and I know in our Christian theology, we believe that the Messiah came first as a Passover lamb. But he's coming again as a lion of Judah. Amen? The Passover lamb would be the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. And in Jewish tradition, there's two messiahs. And the first messiah that comes in Jewish tradition is called Messiah ben Yosef. And Joseph is seen as the suffering servant. He suffered that exile, that imprisonment, all those false accusations, until at the very end, he saved his family, and uh, had, their family had a happy ending for a while. Uh, at the end of uh, the 70th week that we've talked about, this is about to happen. The signs of the times are showing us that we are near the second coming of the Lord. And of course, we know the rapture is different than the second coming, and I can't get into explaining all of that right now. But when the Messiah comes as the Lion of Judah, Jewish tradition speaks of this Messiah as Messiah ben David. Messiah ben David, Messiah son of David, from the lineage of David, King David. And he's coming back not as a lamb, but as a lion. He's not coming as a suffering servant, he's coming again as a conquering king. Come on. So, in Jewish theology, this is the two Messiah teaching. And we could get into a lot of different things about that, but read Zechariah 9 9. Uh, this is one way that uh, they developed this teaching in Judaism that the Messiah is going to come one of two ways. He will either come uh, lowly riding on a donkey, or he will come riding on the clouds. So in Judaism, and we're really not that far away from what each of our two great faiths believe. They believe that the, there, the potential is for one of two messiahs. We believe there's one messiah with two different comings. The first coming is the lamb, Messiah ben Yosef. The second coming is Messiah ben David, the conquering king. And so when Yeshua came the first time and he rode in on a donkey into Jerusalem, that was Palm Sunday. Today, the great Shabbat, this weekend, that all happened. And they praised him as Messiah. The crowds, the throngs, they were, all the palm branches, all of that. The Jews accepted Jesus. It was just the Sadducees that ran the temple. They didn't like the idea that some upstart rabbi would overthrow their power. And we can get into Pharisees. Most of us always point at Pharisees. It's really the Sadducees. The Pharisees were the common rabbis, the teachers. They were throughout the country loving on the people pastorally. But the ones that had uh, the seed of power, the Sadducees, who controlled the temple, they controlled the sacrifices, they were really the ones making the rules. 
But Jewish and Christian theology, very, very close, right? And, uh, and so uh, uh, the first coming, just in review, Daniel's prophecy helps explain the difference between the theologies in that after 69 weeks of Daniel's 70-week prophecy in Daniel 9 is the first coming. And the second coming is at the end of the 70th week, which is at the end of the tribulation period. This is the end of the tribulation, and Malachi calls this the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Every great Shabbat, uh, synagogues uh, study Malachi. And they especially study Malachi uh, where it says in Malachi 4.5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. So there's a lot to unpack there. But ancient wisdom is calling this day that Malachi's prophesying the great Shabbat. And the very first great Shabbat was great and dreadful because it launched a redemption in which the enemies of God, Egypt, were judged. Something's going to happen in somebody's life here watching by Zoom or listening later on the podcast where there's some kind of edict, some kind of decree, something you're battling in your family life, in your health, a medical decree, a legal decree, some other kind of uh, career decree. And right now it seems like you're uh, stuck. But God is about ready to loosen something supernatural in your life. That that enemy will be defeated and whatever is delaying or blocking your blessing is going to be removed. Praise God. That's why we study the holidays. The holidays have certain spiritual themes. And those themes are a picture of what God wants to do in your life. They're not just history. It's history in advance. It's history telling you what you're about to receive because you've made a covenant commitment with the King of Kings. This is what Paul is teaching in 1 Corinthians 10. In verse 1 he says, Brothers, I don't want you to miss the significance of what happened to our fathers. Alright, so what happened to our fathers, Paul is saying, well what does Paul know? Why would we listen to Paul? Yeah, because he's like preeminent when it comes to the gospel, okay? Uh, and so, don't miss what's going on in our history. Our history goes further back than Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If that's all you got, that's okay. But there's more. Who loves getting more? Especially at uh, uh, all-you-can-eat uh, Brazilian steakhouse. I love more. 
In verse 6, Paul says, these things took place as prefigurative historical events. Prefigurative. What does that mean? It's history in advance. Paul is saying the original version of the Exodus is going to be repeated at the end of days. All right? And there's a lot of literature that speaks of this. The Jews for centuries have believed, and this is from uh, ancient Jewish literature, in Nisan, the world was created. The bondage of our ancestors ceased in Egypt, and in Nisan, they will be redeemed in time to come. Amen. The great Rabbi Rashi from the Middle Ages said, that great day for Malachi is when the Messiah arrives. It's the beginning of the yearn for end of days. Jewish people are looking for the same thing we're looking for. It's the final redemption, Rabbi Rashi says. The connection to Passover, he says, is that Passover was our first redemption from our first exile in Egypt. But the Haftorah, the prophetic portion, prophesies about the next and the last redemption from our present exile. And right now, Jews believe they're still in exile. It's called the Edom exile, the exile that came at the hands of the Romans. But right now, something's happening in our world prophetically. uh, Israel's reformed as a nation. There's a worldwide uh, aliyah taking place. You've heard the scripture, I don't have the Isaiah reference, from the north, the south, the east, and the west. Who's ever prayed that? We call them in from the north, the south, the east, and the west. We've used that as a salvation intercession, not realizing that in its original meaning, that's speaking about Jews returning from the four corners of the earth to Israel, and that would be a sign of the end times. And here we are sponsoring Aliyah out of Ukraine, out of Ethiopia, from around the world, from Mexico, Brazil, France, Venezuela. All that we're playing a role in fulfilling Bible prophecy. And as we do that, thank the Lord that you're being counted apart to be able to do that and thank Him for blessing you abundantly for blessing Israel. Genesis 12.3 So, for Jew and Gentile alike, the great Shabbat and the first Passover are a shadow of the final redemption. It's a prequel to the book of Revelation. Just like Egypt was delivered from the with the strong hand of the Lord who came to destroy every enemy and bring deliverance to God's people, bring deliverance from slavery to this world system, God is saying, I want to do the same for us right now. Amen. Well, there will be some that rebel. There's an Antichrist crowd. They're on the prowl right now. You can see it everywhere, can't you? The Antichrist. There's a group that's preparing the world for the coming of the Antichrist. You and I are preparing the world for the coming of the Messiah. 
Really not much room for middle ground there. (laughs) You're either with us or you ain't. You can't straddle the fence anymore. The time is too short. If we're going to do something for God, let's get busy. Those who rebel experience a great tribulation. But those who maintain their covenant commitment, we're going to experience a great jubilee. That's what the book of Revelation is all about. It's a great jubilee. God is restoring divine order. People have tried to usurp God's authority and create a world without God in it. But they forgot one thing. This is our Father's world. Amen. And one day the jubilee is when everything reverts back to the original owner. And Revelation is a story about everything reverting back to the original owner. And those that are with God and serving God and loving God, you are going to be blessed abundantly because you took a stand. Amen. Praise God. Well, there's so much more we could teach. I'm going to have to skip down a couple sections. Ask this question. Why did God connect the final redemption with a Sabbath? Because the Sabbath is more than simply a day on the calendar. It's more than just a day of rest. The Sabbath contains secrets about the last days. There's a messianic message in the Sabbath. See, hidden within creation and the seven days of the week, God establishes a mini-pattern that reveals a secret. And both Jews and Christians are learning this secret. That the seven-day cycle of creation points to a 7,000-year cycle for the earth. My gosh. Prophetically, each day of the week represents 1,000 years. The seventh and final 1,000-year period is called the Sabbath millennium. Or what we could call the Great Shabbat. This is the secret behind what Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3.8. Beloved, don't forget this one thing. Why out of all the things that he says not to forget, he says don't forget that one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. Why didn't he, don't forget to be holy. Don't forget to pay your tithe. Don't forget this. Don't forget that. He says, don't forget a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. He learned this from Psalm 90. In Psalm 90, a thousand years, verse 4, in this, uh, uh, for a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past as a watch in the night. So what's going on here? God is showing us that uh, there's thousand-year periods that model the seven days of creation. There's seven 1,000-year periods. And Peter says, don't forget this. 
So essentially, we could say that God has predetermined a 7,000 year period. One that parallels the seven days of creation. There's six days and then the Sabbath. There's 6,000 years and then the Sabbath millennium, the great Shabbat. And since Adam, mankind has been building up to a grand finale. When we enter into the seventh millennium, the great Shabbat, and that's when we rule and reign with the Lord for all of eternity. How good is that? Throughout history, uh, experts in Jewish theology, Christian theology, have talked all about this. One of the great statements from ancient Jewish literature says, the world is to exist for 6,000 years. The first 2,000 are to be void. That's without Torah. The next 2,000 years are the era of Torah. The last 2,000 years, this is interesting, are the era of the Messiah. If you go back 2,000 years from today, who's the messianic figure in Israel from 2,000 years ago? Yeshua. So you can start doing your own calculations, anybody, and you can see, uh, there's some dots I could connect here that validate that Christian theology on who is the Messiah is, is good. I mean, we're pretty right on there, folks. But because of our many sins, some of the final era has already passed and there still is no Messiah. And so we could get into teaching all of that. But the point is, it's showing us in ancient Jewish literature, there's 6,000 years and then a Sabbath millennium. Years ago, when I was a new convert, I believe it was Charles Capps or Lester Summerall, maybe it was Hilton Sutton, I can't remember who, came to our church and did a whole week of prophecy teaching and made the statement that mankind has a 6,000-year lease on planet Earth. The seventh 1,000 period is the Great Shabbat. A time of overwhelming victory and great peace. We might as well get in practice for that right now. I declare overwhelming victory and great peace in our lives. Nothing missing, nothing broken. So the very first Shabbat was a sign that uh, Egypt, Pharaoh, all the immorality, all the idolatry was going to come to a crashing end. It's a shadow of the real thing. Okay? One day our enemies will be totally defeated. Let's just get an early start on defeating our enemies instead of our enemies defeating us. Now here's why all of this is so important. This 7,000 year period, uh, which includes 6,000 years and then the Sabbath millennium, it's, it could seem to be a bit discouraging because if you go to many Jewish websites, you'll see a date posted at the top that shows you how many years from creation. And right now we're 5,782 years from creation. So just doing the math, we're quite a ways off from 6,000 years. 
But I got to studying about this. I've taught this in the past that uh, all of the different governments and spiritual leaders going back thousands of years, hundreds of years, have screwed up the calendar. And experts now say there is up to 240 missing years. No one can say exactly how many years are missing. But there's a lot of good reasons to believe that secular and religious have messed things up on the count. I'll give you an example of how dramatic calendar changes can be. Did you know that January 1st wasn't always celebrated as New Year's Day? For centuries, especially during the Middle Ages, January 1st didn't matter to anybody. What ma- it w- in fact, it was abolished. Instead, New Year's was celebrated on March 25th. It coincided with what Christians call Annunciation Day. When Gabriel announced to Mary she was giving birth to Jesus. That was the new year. And we could go on and on. For centuries, there were only ten months on the calendar. There wasn't twelve months, only ten. Look all of that up. It's free on the internet. But, uh, doing quick math, if you add 240 years... The maximum, they say, to this 5,782, what do you get? 6,022 from creation. So, here's the deal. If indeed all of this teaching is correct, and I believe it is, that it tells us our Messiah is ready to return. Amen? The Lion of Judah is coming soon. He's not coming as a lamb this time. Amen? So there's so many other things we could get into. Uh, Let me just close with this in the last few moments. Malachi gave us a sign, a prophetic sign, how we would recognize the great and dreadful day of the Lord is about to happen. He said the hearts of the fathers... And the hearts of the children will go through a big change. But no one's ever told us, well, who are the fathers and who are the... What does this mean? The spiritual fathers are the Jews. God started everything with the Jews. They're the spiritual fathers. Read Romans 11 when you learn about the olive tree. Who's the root and who's the branch? The spiritual children... The Gentiles, the Christians. I read this from Rashi, who interprets the verse by saying, The hearts of the fathers are returned not to the sons, but to the Holy One. By means of the sons. And when I saw I said, boy, Rashi's on to something here. See, Paul said in Romans 11 uh, that what certain Gentile Christians will do is provoke Jews to jealousy. They'll stimulate Jews to come back to the Torah, back to Jehovah, back to Yahweh. 
And Rashi's words are true. The hearts of the fathers will go back to loving God more than they've ever loved God before by means of the sons. What do you think New Beginnings is doing? We're involved in fulfilling end time prophecy. And Malachi said at the end of days, when you start noticing how Jews and Christians are uniting, it will be a sign that Elijah, who will announce the coming of the Messiah, is about ready to return. And we're playing a role in all of that. Hallelujah. Christians are being used to be a blessing to Israel, Genesis 12, 3, so that we can fulfill Paul's prophecy in Ephesians 2 of the one new man, the two, Jew and Gentile, coming together in the last days, and then there will be an outpouring of signs and wonders and miracles in your life, in my life, in this church's life, in any organization, any individual, that understands this, that has eyes to see, ears to hear. We're not going out with a moan. We're going out with a shout because we've been faithful to do the will of God. And as we do that, God is pouring out His blessing on us. Who wants more of God's blessing poured out? Receive it in Jesus' name. Well, praise the Lord. Thank you, Zoom.